Let's look to the Lord again. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you and pray for the anointing of your Spirit upon our hearts, that he might be the great instructor of our souls, so that we would come to the Scriptures, that we would see Jesus, that we would long to follow him, and that we would seek to understand all that he has done for us, so that we would be those people like the Apostle Paul who are compelled by the love of Christ. And may that be true of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. And you'll find that on page 852 of the Pew Bible. Mark 15, verses 1 through 20. You may have seen the commercial a number of years ago. It was a commercial about a startup business a startup internet business, and they had just constructed their website, and they were watching the ticker to see how many people were coming to their website to buy their particular product. And as this small band of employees gathered around this computer monitor to watch the little ticker that went from zero to one to three to five, they began to look at each other and get excited And then all of a sudden the ticker just started flying and went up to a thousand and then ten thousand and all these orders were being placed and they looked at each other like, oh my goodness, what have we gotten ourselves into? The sense of being overwhelmed and you know what it's like to have that sense of being overwhelmed in life, of having something before you that is far greater than what you can handle. And that's exactly what the disciples I think have arrived at that point where they feel completely overwhelmed. We've seen their failure with Jesus. Failure in the garden. Failure to stand by Jesus. And now they're looking upon Him. He has been arrested. And now being tried. And all that they have hoped for for the last three years appears to be coming to an end. And there's this sense of being overwhelmed. And so here we turn now to Mark chapter 15. As I said before, Peter has denied Jesus and now Jesus is going to be handed over to Pilate for trial. Mark writes, and as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison, one uh, who had committed murder in the insurrection There was a man named Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? 
But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Remember seeing a show in which a man was hopeful that he might be able to be reunited with his parents, his natural parents. He had been adopted as a young baby and never knew his uh, natural parents. And so the show was all about him trying to relocate his natural parents and find out who he was and what his roots are. During the course of the show, what he discovered was that his father was in prison and that his mother was barely making it, struggled with a drug addiction. And by the end of the show, the, the question that he asked when he was interviewed was, who would I be? Who would I be if I had not been adopted into a new family? What kind of person would I be like if I were still with my natural parents and not adopted by the ones who have chosen me and chosen to love me? That was the question. And in many ways, that's the same question that a disciple of Jesus can ask who would I be? If not for the grace of God, if not for the gospel of Jesus Christ, who would I be in this life? The disciples here are overwhelmed because they see Jesus arrested. They're going to see Him beaten and crucified. But in one sense, not, that's not the most powerful thing that they will be overwhelmed by in their life and ministry. In fact, if you read the writings of the apostles, what you begin to discover is that the thing that they were most overwhelmed by is who would they be if it were not for the grace of God? Peter, in his second letter, says that it's through the grace of God that we have escaped the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desires. He says, I have escaped as though I'm fleeing a burning building. And then there's the Apostle Paul, who three times in the New Testament speaks of how awful a sinner he is. In fact, the last time in 1 Timothy, he speaks of himself as the foremost, or some translations say, the chief of sinners. Now why would Paul say that about himself? Because in that passage, he speaks of himself as one who is a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent of Jesus that's who he was and that was the trajectory of his life and it led to destruction and everyone who has been saved by Christ like Peter says has escaped that by the grace of God because you see the sinful heart is hostile to Jesus and what this passage tells us 
is just what our lives would be like. Maybe not to this particular grotesque extent, but what our lives would be like if not for the grace of Jesus Christ. And so here we see the gruesomeness and the horror of what Jesus would endure. And it describes for us what people are like in their hearts who do not know Jesus and are not saved by His grace. And so, what does it say about the sinful heart? It says this, the sinful heart values sinners over Jesus. The sinful heart values sinners over Jesus. Now, we're introduced to Pontius Pilate in this particular passage here. He was the Roman governor of Palestine appointed by Tiberius to keep rule and order there for the Roman government, to keep the peace. He was given a a large group of soldiers by which he could dispatch to keep the peace. So he was the man who had life and death in his own hands. And the Sanhedrin here that has wrongly accused and wrongly convicted Jesus of sins that he did not commit, now come to Pilate and present Jesus to Pilate because they know they do not have the power to execute Jesus. They might have the power within their own council to determine if someone is guilty of breaking the law of God, but they don't have the power to execute. And so they come to Pilate early in the morning at the time when Pilate would often receive requests to make a judgment. And they need Pilate's judgment of guilt. And what we notice, one of the things in the gospel is is the change in the charge that's presented to Pilate from the charge that they convicted him by in the Sanhedrin. They convicted him of blasphemy. They convicted him of declaring that he would tear down the temple. But what do they do when they bring him to Pilate? They say, this man declares that he's a king. They use the word Christ and then in the Gospel of Luke specify for Pilate just what that means. Pilate, it means he's declaring he's king and not Caesar. And so we hear, see in verse 2, Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, you've said so. He doesn't answer it straightforwardly, but it's almost as though he's wanting Pilate to consider, what do you think? You've said this. Am I? Am I the king? Or is, or is there another? And here the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make to all of these charges? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Here's Pilate amazed at Jesus because he keeps his mouth closed and is the one, as we have seen, who will go to the slaughter because of the submissive nature of his character to the will of the Father. And what do the chief priests do here? Pilate wants to free Jesus. He sees no reason for condemning this man. He asks the question, what evil has he done? But the chief priests are not satisfied with that. And so we're told here that they stir up Pilate to release a man from prison and condemn Jesus. It was Pilate's practice. We're told here in verse 6 that at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And we're told of this man named Barabbas. 
He wants to release him, but they will have nothing of it. Verse 10, the, uh, verse 11, the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that uh, to have him release for them Barabbas instead. Now, what's Barabbas like? Well, we're told here he's a murderer. He's a murderer. Now, the irony here is that the name Barabbas means son of the father. Now, Barabbas' father may have been proud of him. There's my boy. He's the murderer. He's in prison. But I doubt it. Much greater is the pride of the heavenly father for his son who did nothing wrong, who was completely innocent, who was falsely accused and wrongly convicted and now stands ready to be executed. Oh, how, heaven the, how the Heavenly Father is proud of His Son, that His Son has done everything that He has asked of Him. But yet what we see in the hearts of sinners is that sinners would rather have other sinners than Jesus. In fact, sinners celebrate other sinners rather than celebrate Jesus. It's what we see in the world all the times and sometimes our own hearts are led captive to this due. Sports figures, politicians, all different types of people that, that are sinners and we celebrate them. We even celebrate the wrong things that they do. At least our culture does. Now if you remember a number of years ago when Tiger Woods first came on the scene, when he was just about to win his first Masters Championship, he was walking up the 18th fairway. And this great crowd, like golf had never seen before, is following behind Tiger Woods as he's going up to win the championship. And they're excited, they're jumping on the course, they're making lots of noise. And his father said in an interview later about Tiger in that particular episode, they weren't just following him, they were worshiping him. And he was right. They were. They were worshiping Him. They were celebrating Him. And they would much rather have a sinner than have Jesus. And that's what the heart of the sinner wants. Most of the time, sinful people delight in other sinful people because they can hang around folks that don't judge them. They won't feel as though somehow they are a lesser of a person because they, after all, can look at this other person's life and say, well, look at them. I measure up pretty good in comparison to that particular person. Jesus declared, the light has come into the world, but people love darkness because their deeds were evil. People love to hide in the darkness with other dark-souled people. And Jesus says, I'm the light. And by God's grace, we are people who have been drawn out of darkness into the light because just like the crowd following after Tiger Woods, every sinner like us has been following after false, God, uh, false Christ who are sinners themselves. Modeling our lives after them. Wanting to be like them. Celebrating their kind of life. Jesus came for people like that. 
And He's drawn us to Himself. Thankfully, Jesus values sinners' lives over His own life, doesn't He? Because He was willing to give up His own life for sinners like you and me. Romans 5.8 says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And here in this passage, this great exchange between Jesus and Barabbas is analogous to the Gospel message that even though Barabbas was to go to the cross to be executed for his sins, for his crime of murder, Jesus would go to the cross. I have no idea if Barabbas repented of his sins, if Jesus actually paid for that murder. But certainly He went to the cross for people like you and me who have committed murder in our hearts, who have stolen things from people, who have been disloyal, who have not put God first, who have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And Here in the heart of the sinner, sinners are elevated as more worthy than Jesus. And Jesus says, I can do you one better. Because I'll even die for sinners. It's what Jesus has rescued us from. It's what He has saved us from. From valuing sin over Him and the glory of being with Him. And so as we look upon this particular text and all that Jesus would do for His people, we must recognize that He has set us free from that. But there's a second thing in the heart of the sinful person. The sinful heart wants to get rid of Jesus. Pilate here saw no reason to execute Jesus, but in the end, both Pilate and the Sanhedrin end up working together to bring about his death. Now, for Pilate and the Jews to work together, this was very unusual. Pilate was actually quite hostile to the Jewish people. In fact, if you look in some of the historians of antiquity, Let me read you a few lines of what is written about Pilate from Philo. By nature, rigid and stubbornly harsh. Be a great epitaph to put on your tombstone, wouldn't it? By nature, rigid and stubbornly harsh. And of spiteful disposition, an exceedingly wrathful man. Philo speaks of the bribes, the acts of pride, the acts of violence, the outrages, the cases of spiteful treatment, the constant murders, without trial, the ceaseless and most grievous brutality. He uses three words to describe Pilate. Inflexible, stubborn, and cruel. And history bears that out. In fact, if you look at the Gospel accounts, it almost seems as though Pilate's a pushover. He does just what the Jews want. But in reality, it was just the opposite of that. Here, we're told, uh, we're told in antiquity that... Um, his first act as governor of the province was to bring these standards, these banners, with Caesar's image into Jerusalem and hang them all about until the Jews got so angry that they rebelled against it and he had to take them down. On another occasion, he stole from the temple treasury so that he could build a Roman aqueduct coming into the city. And the Jews were so angry about it when they... uh, uh, decided to uh, riot, not riot, but um, uh, join forces within Jerusalem to protest this. He sent his soldiers against them 
and killed many of them. In fact, Luke tells us that he mixed or intermingled their blood with the blood of the sacrifices. Pilate was a cruel man and he was cruel to the Jews. He hated them. So the question is, why? Why would he give in to their requests? Well, the answer to that is, is he had already made so many mistakes in leadership that if there was one more strike against him, then Emperor Tiberius was on his way. And he would remove Pilate from power. What was Pilate after? Self-preservation. I'll be a good politician and I'll, I'll allow the people to have what they want. This one man for my sake. So that I don't have to lose my command and lose my rule. And yet what's interesting is the same is true of the Jews. We're told here that Pilate perceived, verse 10, that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. He had perceived that what was in their heart was envy. Or you might say anger at Jesus' success. That he had gained this great following. That people were following after him and not them. In fact, John records for us that when the leaders met together, what they declared was, if we're not careful, Rome's going to come in and they're going to take this away from us. If we let this man continue, our rule will be taken away. And so both Pilate and the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees could not allow that to happen. And so what did they do? They would give Jesus over to death rather than losing their status and losing their way of life. They must get rid of Jesus. And that's the posture of the sinful heart. I, I must get rid of Jesus. I must drive Him out of every aspect of my life. He is a threat to me. And so here we see what the sinful heart wants to do. It wants to say, Jesus, you don't have authority over me here. You don't rule here in this part of my life. And that's the thing that Jesus has saved us from because He has come for us. We are those people who by nature, by our sinful nature, want to push Jesus as far back as we can. We want to stiff arm Him and say, don't come any closer. And yet Jesus comes. He comes to those who despised Him and hated Him. He comes to His own enemies and He dies for them and then He pours out His Spirit upon them and gives them a new heart so that they come to Him and desire to be with Him. Friends, if we're those people who want to push Jesus away, then all we're going to do is live a life that is broken and filled with corruption, that is distorted by our sinful desires. And Jesus says, I want you to come to me so that I can free you of all of that. So that now your life will be lived for my glory, no longer distorted and corrupted by sin, no longer living in broken relationships because of our harshness of heart, but rather living for the glory of Jesus. And that's what He came to do, is to set us free from that. Finally this, the sinful heart, not only wants to get rid of Jesus, but also 
unfortunately, wants to shame Jesus. We see Jesus' sufferings here in chapter 14 and 15. Back in chapter 14, verse 65, some began to spit on him. These, these were the Sanhedrin members. These are the leaders. This would be like your own elders and deacons gathering together and spitting on a church member. They spit on him and they covered his face and they struck him saying, prophesy. And then they handed them over to the temple guards who received him with blows. Then we read in verse 15 of chapter 15 that Pilate, having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Scourged him. That is to say, they tied together strands of leather with bone and metal and rock tied into the ends of them so that when the Roman guard would beat the victim, it would tear his flesh away. And that's exactly what they did to Jesus. Lash after lash after lash. And then when he was bloodied almost beyond recognition, we're told in verse 16, the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. They called together the whole battalion. We're talking about hundreds of soldiers watching on. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. Such cruelty, suffering that Jesus endured. But the worst part of it comes in, chapter, or in verse 20. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. It was all to shame him, to mock him, to declare publicly This is a worthless, vile man. He is not worth your allegiance. Do not follow him. You see, that's what the sinful heart wants to do. It wants to shame Jesus so as to dethrone him. I don't know if you know who Kathy Griffith is. She's a sort of a lesser known celebrity. She received an Emmy nomination and won the Emmy a few years back for one of her TV shows. And when she went up to receive the Emmy, this is what she said in her speech. Now, a lot of people come up here and thank Jesus for this award. I want you to know that no one has had less to do this with this award than Jesus. He didn't help me a bit. So all I can say is, bleep Jesus. This award is my God now. Here she is trying to shame Christ, to dethrone Him. And that award is her God. And as the Scriptures say, that's all she will ever receive. And she'll never know the pleasures of paradise with God. The infinite love of Jesus that would be poured upon His saints It's an act of rebellion. It's the very thing that Paul must have sensed about his own life when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Didn't Paul want to shame Christ and all of his followers by persecuting him? But here's the thing. 
Jesus was willing to be shamed for his people. He was willing to go through all of this. All so that he could save people for himself and shower his love upon them. Even the band U2, you know, I like U2. The band U2 even recognizes this. In a song, they speak of the one who carried the cross and all my shame. When Jesus carried the cross, he was carrying on his back not only the guilt, but the shame of his people. That we are not those who reflect the glory of God like we were made to do. And yet Jesus would bear it upon himself. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. He said we were once sinners dead in our trespasses. We were led by the devil. And all we wanted to do was rebel against God. But God who is rich in mercy. Has made us alive in Christ Jesus. And what this text tells us is who we would be. If it were not for the grace of God. And the greatest tragedy would actually to be like the person that you two speaks of in that psalm, song, which is actually title, entitled, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. The person who has seen the crucifixion and, and recognizes that Jesus carries the shame of His people and yet says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm, I'm still searching. There must be something better for me. My friends, there is nothing better than Jesus. And what you and I would be apart from Him is what we see in Pilate, what we see in the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and the whole Sanhedrin who would cry out, crucify Him. Friends, this text is not made, not written to make us pity Jesus because He was beaten so badly. It's written to make us praise Him Because He endured so much for people like you and me. What a great Savior we have in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, we praise You for showing mercy to us. Praise You that the graces that are in Jesus have overflowed out of His heart and into our lives. What mercy He has shown us. People who would delight in shaming you, people who would want to get rid of you, who would celebrate sinners over you. And yet you have shown mercy to us and making us more and more into your image. May we praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen.